You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, have you ever thought about what it cost Paul to be a Christian? Do you know much about the life of Paul? Like, part of it for me, first of all, just to to start right off, is to say, here's the guy who was out persecuting Christians, and then he had to walk around the rest of his life with egg on his face going, "Uh, whoops, I was wrong, you should become one of us. Like, those would be pretty awkward conversion conversations, I would think, when Paul is sharing and they're going, now wait a minute, like, is this a trick or is this for real? Like, here's the guy who was out um, proclaiming how false the faith was, and now all of a sudden, here he is just going and proclaiming this. So you've already got a little bit of embarrassment going on, but then if you remember his, um, his life, he was, uh, he was chased, he was smuggled out of towns, he was threatened out of towns, he was mocked and ridiculed publicly in places like Athens and Corinth. He'd been stoned and left for dead multiple times. Like, like when he got to a city, he probably should have just like saved time and been like, where's the jailer? Because I'm going to end up being with this guy here pretty darn soon. Like that's what happened. Every place he went, he brought this message of the gospel, but it was just at times humiliating. He would get run out and oftentimes he would go to prison. And that was his life. And so I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the, the life of Paul, and I'm trying to say, do Christians today live with that kind of courage? And if not, why not? And like, what does Paul have or know that we can have or know as well so that we can live like that? Like, like why would he live like this? Is it just because he's a big personality? Is it be, just because, you know, he had this life apart from Christ and then, you know, he, like he's now this, on this big guilt trip of a life, like trying to make up for it? And I think if he were standing here today, he would say, you know, of course not. But he might say that I've found something that is better than anything the world has to offer. Amen. It's better than my own comfort, my own security, my own pleasure, my own safety, my own family or money or um, um, climbing the, the ladder in society or anything like that. I found something better. He believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the greatest news in the world and that it was worth everything. Amen. The gospel gave Paul purpose Meaning, it gave a cause, and I would say we're losing the cause battle today, especially with um, the younger generation. Not their fault, we just haven't passed it on that the gospel has the greatest cause in it, that we can understand what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, that we can grow in it ourselves, we can help brothers and sisters in Christ grow in it and understand it more, and we can go to a lost and dying world and say, we have a hope, we have an answer, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We haven't passed that down as well as we ought. And so we have a very cause-driven generation that is looking for a cause. And I just want to scream from the rafters and go, we've got one. We've got the greatest thing the world has ever known. To be able to tell people this thing that is of God that lasts for all eternity. Solves the problems that are plaguing you right now in your life. But it is so, we are such a cause-driven culture. And, and I see it, I see it all the time. I see, um, like we've probably all got those friends on Facebook that are constantly changing their avatar to whatever the latest thing is. Constantly changing it. Or you're driving behind somebody and you see the bumper stickers and you're going, you can't even see out the back of your window, I'm quite certain, with all those bumper stickers. But I'm certain you don't really feel, you can't possibly feel strongly about every single one of those things that you're, that you're saying right there. And now you go into almost any retail store and what do you do? You buy a um, you buy something and they go, do you want to round up to give you know, 18 cents or whatever it would be to people in need? 
Everybody's doing this. And so I saw, I saw a guy actually talking about this, and he said one of the things that's happened with this is because every place you go shopping, they say, you know, there's poor children that need shoes. Do you want to give a dollar? Or they, you know, there's inner cities, and they can't play sports. Do you want to give $2? Or save the planet, and do you want to round up? All those different things. You know, one guy that I saw an interview with, and he's been working with retail for 20 years, he said the result of that is people are walking around and we're finding out that they're incredibly stressed. Because what they're doing is they're walking in and every place you go, you're just getting reminded of new problems in the world. Now there's a problem and there's a problem and there's a problem and there's a problem. And it's, it's compounding all the problems. And he actually said, but it's not really giving people a good tangible solution because at the end of the day, they know my one dollar doesn't really do as, you know, doesn't really do a whole lot. And so I was going, ah, yes, there are all these problems in the world and people are looking for hope and that, I, you see the despair that could set in when every place you go, it looks like everything's on fire and there's all these different needs. We go, yes, there are needs, but there is hope. That's what the Christian brings to the world. There is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be proclaiming. And so we've got like a very cause-driven uh, nation, really, and Christians, we've got to remind them the greatest cause in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It gives the reason for why everything is messed up, that there's sin and brokenness in the world, and it gives the hope that this is not all that there is. This is the, the greatest of causes, and that's, that's what really captured Paul's heart. And he wanted the churches in Rome, the letter that you just heard read, the letter to the Romans, he wanted them to know it. And I think by the power of the Holy Spirit who's preserved this text for us, he wants us to understand that today as well. So we're in Romans chapter one and we'll be looking at this great cause of the gospel. And um, this is near the end of Paul's third missionary journey, so like 57, 58 AD in the winter uh, in there. And the, he was gonna sail, but you can't really sail in the winter to Caesarea and then go up to Jerusalem. And so um, he's just waiting. He's got about three months where he's gotta wait through the winter. And in that time, we think in and around Corinth is where he wrote a letter back to this capital city of Rome. And so as you hear this, hear it with two different sets of ears. The first one, the one we usually listen to it with, is Paul is writing to Christians in a church, or churches actually, but he's writing to Christians in a church. We're Christians in a church, so we kind of listen like that. But the other way to listen is this. Paul writing letters to the church in this capital city of Rome, this um, Rome hated Christians, and so Paul, being one of the most prominent Christians, when his correspondence would go around, he would write it, and there is a darn good chance that it would get to Caesar himself, or people that are very close to him, or, or at a minimum, it's like I always tell my kids, if you, if you write something, if you text something, if it's a picture, if it's a video, if it's words, if it's an email, just assume that it is going to be made public, all right? I don't care how private you think it is, assume it's gonna be made public. Paul is writing a letter <clears throat> back to Christians in Rome. So at a very minimum, he's writing this thing going, um, anybody could see this. And frequently, and we know this, that sometimes his letters were taken and they were, um, they were read, like to make sure from the Roman Empire to see if they wanted to have them or if they thought they wanted to squelch them or not. And so Paul is writing to the Christians, but there's also a sense, like picture Nero, who was emperor at the time, reading these things. And that's why I like, think of something like Romans 13. I picture being one of um, Nero's 
henchman, I don't know what he had, whatever he had, henchman, we'll call him henchman, that gets one of Paul's letters and goes, we got a letter from Paul. And he goes, oh good, let me hear it. And he goes, well, it starts out good. It says in Romans 13, one, it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And I could see Nero going, that's great. Paul's writing back and he's like doing my heavy lifting for me. He's writing to the Christians and saying, do whatever Caesar says, right? And then they go, well, you may not like the next part of what he writes, Nero, but he says, for there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. And if Nero reads that, you know what he's reading? You are not immortal, but there is one who is. You are not the ultimate power, no matter how much power you think you have over this entire empire, there is somebody higher than you, and you only sit on that throne because there's a God who has seen fit to put you there. You answer to God. This would have been encouraging to the Christians and a little bit of a loving slap in the face to Caesar that thought he was God on earth. You were only there because a sovereign God, God allowed it to happen. You were there for a little season and that's all you have. As powerful as you think you are, at some point your time will be done. We've had um, 47 presidents. Six of them are still alive. None of the others are. Their time came, they had a lot of power, influence, and they've moved on. That's, what's, that's what Nero is hearing here. So, so he's writing to Christians, but also have Caesar in mind that there would be people in the Roman Empire that are high up that could have gotten this as well. And I think Paul's message is very simple. I think he's saying no matter who appears to be in charge, God really is. No matter who appears to be in charge, God really is. So don't miss it. This is not just Paul, like when he goes and preaches, he has all this boldness. He's writing to, well aware that other people will probably see this thing. So hear this with both sets of ears. So here we go, verse eight. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, for all of you Christians in the churches, because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. So they're in there in the belly of the beast in the capital of Rome and going, wow, the persecution we're facing, people are hearing the story of our faithfulness and it is spreading throughout the world. And if you're Nero reading this, you're going, darn it, I'm like trying to oppress and oppress and oppress and humiliate and even kill Christians. And as he's doing that and Christians just follow Christ all the more, what an even bigger and bolder and more beautiful and inspiring testimony. So the very thing that Nero is doing is actually enabling this testimony as the Christians stand for Jesus Christ in the midst of it. So they're living under this heavy hand of Caesar right now. And and Caesar has tried to give them every creature comfort, every worldly pleasure you can possibly imagine. And these Christians are still not willing to bend the knee. First thing they do is say, Jesus is Lord. No matter who appears to be in charge God really is. And then here's, here's the other one. is um, <clears throat> Somebody in Rome, Rome had basically called Paul chicken because Paul had been around to all these other sort of ancillary places in the empire, but he hasn't come to, to the capital of Rome, like the center of the world in the day. He hasn't been there. And so there's a charge against him that says this nice little gospel thing is nice and it's, it's, you know, it's going a little bit out here and everything, but Paul, you're too chicken to bring that to Rome. Because all of a sudden, when you come to Rome, now you're really gonna have to stand up in the face of opposition. You're gonna have to get to the best debaters and Stoics and academics and philosophers, and you're gonna have to stand up and defend it, and you know, Paul, that it is not gonna hold up. And so Paul, in the introduction to Romans, says, I beg your pardon. 
Verse nine, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that um, without ceasing I, may, I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will, notice who he's listening to, by God's will I may at last succeed in coming to you. He's writing and saying, I'm asking the person who is higher than Caesar. I'm not going to be baited into a debate to come to Rome and do this. I long to come to you, he's gonna say. I desire to come to you, but God hasn't allowed it yet, and I'm listening to God. It reminds me, um, Dave Chappelle, the comedian, got in some, um, got in some trouble recently, and uh, he said some things on his stand-up special with Netflix that some people didn't like, and so um, some said, you need to go to Netflix headquarters and apologize to all these people. And if you know Dave Chappelle, um, he, he didn't take well to that, and, uh, and he said, I would be glad to talk to anybody and everybody, but here's my demands. He says, you have to watch my entire special. You can't just hear sound bites and how people are reacting and then act all mad. He said, you gotta, um, you gotta watch the whole thing. And he said, and I will meet you, and then, but it's gonna be a place of my choosing and I will sit and talk to you as long as you like. And then he said, but I will not be summoned. Someone throws something out on Twitter to try to shame him to coming and he stood up and said, I will not be summoned. And I feel like Paul is doing this to go, I will not be summoned. I will not be baited. I will, I will come when God says it's okay for me to come. And he says, for I long to see you. Listen to this. They're, remember, they're, they're being like, you're, you're too chicken. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He says, I'm dying to see you. I love you. You're my, you're my brothers. You're my sisters in the Lord. I want, I want to strengthen you. And if you're Nero reading this, you're going, now, why would they need to be strengthened? Oh, yeah, because of me and because of what I'm doing to them. And Paul says, I want to go and I am going to strengthen you. And you, because of your faith, because of the oppression you're going through and how you're still shining, you will strengthen me as well. We could encourage each other. Do you, do you know that you can actually do this? Like we don't have this level of oppression. One of my, one of my favorite stories I shared a while back was um, when Pilate went to a city and he was trying to get the Jews to renounce Judaism and to, or to renounce, actually they were converts, so they were renouncing Christ and basically worship Rome. And he said, I know, I'll go and I'll just kill a couple of them publicly. We'll figure out how they'll attack me and we'll, I'll kill them and then the rest of them will panic and scatter. And his plans got foiled because um, it was very public and it said they came up and the, it said the men went and bared their necks before Caesar to take the ax. But they said, uh, I will not bend the knee to Rome. I will bend it to Christ only and if it costs me my life, that's okay. And it completely backfired on him. Like th this, this is what the early Christians had. And you, you just hear that story, don't you? And there's part of us like, yes, like I want to live my life like that. Man, kudos to, I remember um, during COVID especially, I was watching John MacArthur and he's in California. I've never met the guy. I'm just watching stuff online. And there was something how, how he was taking a stand that, that emboldened me in the midst of that. And it's not just like those big heroic stories like that. Like you can do that too because you know there are people that are dying for somebody to just go, you're right. You're, you're right. Our world is nonsense right now. You're, you're right. God is good. God is loving. And people are rejecting him when he's really the only answer. You're right. Stay the course. Our college students that are going off, they want adults that are telling them, yes, live for Jesus Christ. You're about to be inundated with um, verbiage to say live the other way. Live for him. 
Like we have the opportunity to inspire other people to live that way like Paul's talking about. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Either some circumstances or the Holy Spirit has prevented him. Either way, God's not letting him go. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So Really what he's doing here is he's talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to everybody. Everybody needs to hear this message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so again, if you're in the Roman Empire, you're looking and going, well, the Jews were very, are very religious people, but the Gentiles, like, man, I had them. With all my Rome stuff I threw at them, all the, all the pleasure that I threw at them, they, they bought it hook, line, and sinker. And now you're telling me the gospel's not just going to these people, but all these people as well? And that's what Paul's saying. Yep, it's coming. I am going when God says, and I'm gonna go, and we're gonna encourage each other, and I will reap a harvest among you. You wait and see of Gentiles. And so he says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. No matter who appears to be in charge, God is. The good news that we need to receive is that there's a God who is higher than anybody. There's a God who is above it all. Does God see my pain, my grief, my hurt, my sorrow? Yes. Does God see what's going on in my life? Yes. Does God care? Yes. Has God been kicked off his throne? No. And one day will all this be set right? Come to the Revelation Bible studies, and I'm telling you, it is an emphatic Yes. In fact, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I was looking um, uh, at the end of Revelation where you see the final judgment of evil and Satan. Um, do you know how many verses that gets? It gets a verse and a half. So, so like we picture movies, you picture the big standoff between the good guy and the bad guy, and it's, you know, like one's winning and then the other's winning and then the other's winning and the other's winning. And like what I said this last week with the guys was it feels like Christ is returning and he's like, oh yeah, Satan, and just like kicks him out and goes and sets everything right. Yes, there will be a decisive victory someday and Jesus Christ is reigning right now and he will reign for all eternity. He's in charge and yes, he sees what's going on in our lives and that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. Um, just a, a quick theological point here. Sometimes we think that in the Old Testament you were saved one way, God was one way, and then you get to the New Testament and you're saved differently and God maybe has changed a little bit. Um, that's actually not true. In the Old Testament, they are saved by grace through faith, looking forward to the Messiah that would one day come and pay the price. In the New Testament, we are saved by grace through faith in the Messiah that did come. He died on the cross. He paid the price on our behalf. Sometimes we see it as like this is the God who is all about like plundering and destroying and all that, and then Jesus is here and he's all huggy and nice and loving all of a sudden. It is the same God uh, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. We are saved the same way. And so he's saying, um, when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that's one of the things he's saying. And he's talking about this saving power of the gospel. It's the word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. He's saying the power of the gospel is in God. It is from God. It is the promises of God. It is what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. 
Any other cause that we have in the world has something else. Maybe it is a God-driven cause, but most other causes have something else back at the root. It's somebody's inadequacy and insecurity, or and they want to get people to help with their cause, or it's a political agenda, or a business agenda, money agenda. There's, there's things at the root of it. This one has God as its power, as its source. Amen. So you can bet your life on it. There's a football game today, and I've got a bet with some of my buddies that the Cowboys are going to make the Super Bowl. Don't shake your head at me. They're going to make the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, uh, and so we've bet a brisket, and, um, and that's about all I'm willing to bet. Um, and that's kind of an easy bet, but if somebody were to say, do you want to bet like $100? I would say no. Why would I say no? I'm willing to bet a brisket. I just don't know if they're gonna be able to deliver on the thing that I'm hoping that they do. At a minimum, there's just like injuries and chance and sickness and fate, or what if there's a bad game, or what if they're not as good as the 49ers, or what if, what if, what if. Like, I don't trust them enough that I'll go, sure, I'll put a whole bunch of money on the line, or I'll, I'll, I'll wager my firstborn, or something like that. Like, I won't do that because the power behind it is a bunch of guys playing football. But the power behind the gospel is God himself. And so I should say, I am willing to spend anything. I am willing to do anything. I will put my very life on the line for this because it is of God. Amen. That is the power of the gospel. If the gospel hasn't really changed your life, I do wanna ask the question, do you really know the good news? Do you really know what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ? And I love it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the, it's the dynamite of God. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's a, it's a free offer of the gospel. Paul is able to walk around and there's no, there's no strings attached. You don't have to, here's the gospel and you need to put me up in a house or anything. Like he's just walking around and just sharing and sharing and sharing. And he's saying this is freely given. This is not something that is a reward for the people who are righteous. It's a gift for the guilty that's what Paul is going around and saying, is saying you're, you're guilty before almighty God, but he has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. All right, Paul, how big of a check do you need and how many nights do you need to stay? Uh, nothing. This is it. I just wanna tell you this gospel. I wanna tell you this good news. There's this universal scope of the gospel. It says the Jew first, also the Greeks. There's no barriers. Like the, the messages in that day would go to the wealthy they would, and maybe not the poor. They might go to the men, not the women or the adults, not the children. And this is a gospel that just blows through all that and says this is for everybody. Amen. He makes a strong declaration and says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And church, our world needs Christians today that that would be our declaration. I am not ashamed of the gospel. In Paul's day, did you know that Christians were quite the small minority? They didn't have any clout. There weren't like people in the, you know, in the, in the political realm in Rome that were like, oh, we're also sort of Christians. Like they were building this thing. They didn't have, in fact, the person probably that would be most well-known with the most clout, maybe Matthew, but you know the other guy that was with Jesus is the treasurer named Judas, like they didn't have, it's not like they went and like, let's, let's go and strategically get all these people to really influence the culture. They just said, all we have is this message of the gospel. 
and he is walking around, Paul is going around paying any price and just saying, here's the gospel, here's the gospel. And it's the, the strangest of messages, if you think about it, that this little Jewish boy grew to be a man. He was a maybe carpenter, probably like a handyman type guy. And at some point, he got a lot of followers and then he went to the cross and he died. And what your message is, Paul, what you're saying is that he died to pay the price that we cannot pay. That's the message that took the world by storm. Because of their boldness in the early church, we're here today. And so I I do wanna ask you, one of the reasons that we're here is because we need to share this message with those who don't yet know it. That's That's one of the reasons we're here. Do you know it's one of the things we won't get to do in heaven? We'll get to worship in heaven, we'll get to have fellowship in heaven, we won't have drama and misunderstandings and all that in heaven. We'll do that in heaven, but in heaven you have no need to share the gospel because God is right there, his son is right there. We'll be worshiping him fully in heaven. The time we have here, it's why we don't just come to faith and then go right to heaven because we've got a task here and one of the things is to evangelize, to share this message like Paul did to say, I don't know what this is gonna cost me, but I'm willing to tell, I'm willing to share the story. So I do want to ask this week, who is directly around you that God may be calling you to share with? Would you be willing to see interactions with people who need the gospel, not just as a time to feel guilty, because I should share with them, but I'm not, I'm going on to the next thing, or not just a random chance thing, but a divine appointment that God has put you in their life that you might be able to share with them the greatest news the world has ever known. That's what Christians are to be about. We answer to him, we're accountable to him, and no matter who appears to be in charge, God is. And that just gave Paul such fervent passion to go and share with anybody and everybody. If God can do this for me, this is what he can do for you.